Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. We are so glad that you guys are with us this weekend. Want to welcome all of our campus as well, or if you're watching online, Facebook Live, we're glad all of you are with us. We always give a shout out to somebody, and usually it's one of the campuses or campus pastors, but this week we got, all of our campuses got together for our all staff meetings, and we brought the campus pastor's wives all came in and we invested in them for a couple of days. And, and so how many you know behind every good man is a, a great woman, right? And behind every good woman's a good man. So, okay, some people are excited about that. So welcome to the campus pastor's wives. Shout out to y'all, we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, let's give them a hand at all of our campuses. We appreciate all that y'all do. Katie Walters in the house right here. Uh, glad, thankful for all of y'all. Hey, uh, my name's Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you yet, I serve as a lead pastor here. I'm also the one who was thrown under the bus last week uh, by my father on Father's Day. Um, and so I'm still working through some of that about the whole tarpon fishing thing. And I just wanted to make a statement about that real quick before we get in to the rest. <clears throat> what had happened was this. We took my son... We took my son fishing to the Keys on a quote-unquote man trip, you know, kind of teach him how to be a man, uh, and we had a great day. The day that we had the tarpon incident, earlier in the day, I caught this right here. This is a barracuda, um, these gnarly teeth right here. This, it, actually, I, I had a mahi-mahi on the line, and this guy ate my mahi-mahi in half, like cut it in half, and so we went after him and got him, and these teeth are actually in my house right now in a, a little bag. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with them yet, but I was, I was probably feeling a little hyped up. Maybe my testosterone levels were high, and so I thought, yeah, we'll hand catch some tarpon. I knew their teeth don't look like that. I wasn't saying they don't have teeth, but I knew they didn't look like that, and so, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry for uh, being less afraid than the rest of the quote-unquote men in my family when it came to the, <laughs> the tarpon and also, by the way, thank you for asking, I'm okay. Um, okay, physically I'm okay. Emotionally I'm still working through some things, but I'm, I'm good. Uh, but, but let's jump in today. Have you ever been a part of a, a great team? You think of a time where you were part of just a great team. There was chemistry, you know, the, 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 the team accomplished more than maybe you thought that they would. I was thinking about that in my own life. I thought back to my Sophomore year of high school, the basketball team, JV basketball. I know, don't judge me. I, only, I retired after my senior year, so I don't have a big uh, pool of, of seasons to work from, but that was the best team that I was ever a part of in terms of sports. We, were, we, we had chemistry. The team gelled. None of us were really that great at basketball. We didn't have any superstars, but we way outperformed what anybody thought that we would do. Uh, we, we won a couple of games, won one of them a, on a last-minute buzzer beater. We went to the playoffs that year and, and did well there. We ended up losing to the eventual state, state champions. And, but we, we finished the year going, man, we had a great season, great team, every reason to be optimistic about the future. And then in the offseason, we had a great free agency. We, we landed two guys, I don't know if you all knew that, but high school, private school, uh, free agency is a big deal. And uh, you got people recruiting from other teams. My dad was actually our coach. He ended up getting fired because he was, he was too involved in the free agency market. But I'll let him tell you about that. But we ended up landing two guys uh, that both were Division I college prospects. And so, man, we were on paper, we were set up. We were gonna go from a great team to a championship team. And we could not have been further from wrong on that. I mean, it, it did not pan out the way that we thought it was going to. And, and I don't want to throw these two players under the bus, um, but I will a little bit because it's true and it helps with the message. So what happened is early on in the practices in, in our junior year varsity, one of the players' dads came in and just let us know that 
we were doing too much running and conditioning during practice, and his son wasn't going to be doing all the wind sprints because his feet were hurting him, and he didn't want to jeopardize his college career, and so he was going to sit out the wind sprints. And so all of us are killing ourselves in conditioning, and this one guy isn't doing sprints because his dad wouldn't, wouldn't let, let him do it. And then the other guy, after every game, his dad would come down, and he had like a, a intense stat sheet that he would put together, and he would give it to his son before we would go into the locker room. And so while the rest of us were either celebrating a, a team win or, or struggling over a loss, this guy's looking over his stat sheets and talking about how many assists he had or how many, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, we all look at our stat. I mean, it's not, not a, a abnormal, but the fact that he would do it so intensely, and it kind of trickled into the rest of the team. And over a period of time, we went from a great team to a terrible team. In fact, my senior year, the season ended at Pinewood Prep, and one of the most embarrassing moments of my athletic career, in fact, most of my bad moments came at the hands of Pinewood Prep. Thank you, uh, Coach Pat Edson and Chuck Edson, who are at our Somerville campus, uh, who was the coach there, still is, and um, I appreciate all the investment you put into my humility uh, over the years. But, but literally, we lost by like 40 points. Me and one of these other players actually were throwing the ball at each other on the basketball, like totally embarrassing, totally disappointing. Uh, terrible, terrible end to that career. So, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how do you take a, a great team, add a great player or two, and end up with a worse team? I learned some things throughout that process. And one of the things that I learned is that you can be a great player, but not add value to a team. You gotta be a great team player. You can be both. You, know, you can be a great team player. You can be exceptionally gifted and talented, but it doesn't always mean that you're a team player. And, and, and I guess my question would be, which one do you think you would be? Are you a great player or are you a great team player? Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not on a team. I can't think. Well, I think we're all on teams to some degree. In fact, I would just ask by show of hands, how many of you are a part of a family? Just show of hands. Okay. Just about every one of us. That's great. That's a team. Your family is a team. We call ours Team Surratt. We're pretty darn good. Uh, we're a great team. You know, we love, we, we work together, we get stuff done at the house together. We're a team. How many of you work in a job where other people are present from time to time? Okay, good. You're part of a team. That's a, a team that you're involved in. How many of you would say that you're a Christ follower, that you made a decision? To, okay, look at that, a lot of hands. When you became a Christ follower, you actually became a part of a team. Uh, Jesus, the first thing that he did when he, you know, he's kind of establishing his ministry was he gathered 12 people around him and, and they were his team, his disciples. And then every generation, that team's been growing and growing. And, and when you give your life to Christ, you enlist to be part of that team, part of the team that's on mission with God. And so, so again, are we, are we team players or are we not? The Bible's full of great stuff about teams. I love this verse. We, we use it mostly in marriage, which, by the way, if you're married, you're part of a team. We're gonna kind of discuss together how to be a better team player. Let's keep the elbows to a minimum. We're gonna, we're gonna work through this all together. But it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And we've seen that at work. You know, we can accomplish more with people working together than any one of us could alone. But Paul describes the, the body of Christ, right? The, the family of God, the team of God as a body. He says Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And I love that, that imagery. It says, man, we as a church, we're, we're a family, we're, we're a body, we work together 
You know, we work together with the Big C Church, you know, and we, we, we do things together. We, we hurt with each other and we celebrate with each other. Our, our own version of, of our church, Seacoast Church, we're part of the, the family of God, the body of Christ. We call it the dream team. You know, the people who have said, hey, I wanna be a part of serving on mission, being a part of this team. And so, so we together are parts of all kinds of different teams. But again, the question for each of us to consider is, am I a, just a great player or just a player? Or am, I was gonna go off on player. Some of you are players. You need to stop playing. But, but are we a team player, right? How do I grow as a team player? Well, we're in a series right now called Summer Reading. And what we did is we, we just said, hey, each of our teaching team, grab a book that maybe has messed with you lately or that you've read that you love. And we've heard some great books and we're all presenting on them. The book that I wanna talk to you guys today about is a book that answers the question for how do we become ideal team players. It's called The Ideal Team Player, Patrick Lencioni. I love this author. He's such a great author, mostly business leadership stuff. He wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, he wrote Death by Meeting. And if you are a business leader or you lead people in the workplace, you gotta pick up some of his books. He's so good. And he wrote this book a couple years ago called The Ideal Team Player, and I absolutely loved it. In fact, uh, Chris Taylor, who leads our uh, HR department here at Seacoast, I came right to him after I read it. I was like, you gotta read this book, it's fantastic. And so we've integrated these principles into our hiring process because it was like, man, we, we, we wanna get this right. What he does is he usually tells a fable, a story. In this book, he tells a story of a construction, a guy who took over a construction company and he had to hire a lot of people quickly and they were trying to figure out how do we hire people who add to our team chemistry and don't take away from it. And so they came up with a formula and they've got three attributes that Patrick Lencioni would argue you have to have in every person that you bring onto your team. If you are a business leader, you're gonna love this book. Pick it up. If you work for a company and you wanna become more valuable in the gifts that you bring and how you add to the team, you wanna grab this book. But I think it's so much broader than that. I think we've all got something that we can learn and how to add value in our families, in our church, and the other areas that we work together with other people. Three attributes to help us become an ideal team player. So let's jump in. If you have an outline sheet, you can pull it out. The first one is this. Stay humble. Stay humble. If we're gonna be a team player, we've got to stay humble. Lencioni argues that humility is the single greatest and most indispensable attribute of being a team player. He says this is it. I mean, if you, if you don't have this one, stop. You can't bring somebody onto your team if they aren't humble. And, and you know what? It's interesting because the Bible tends to agree with that sentiment. Bible's got all kinds of stuff to say about humility. I love this verse. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Wouldn't that be awesome for that to be written about you, that you were the most humble person on the earth? It's written in Numbers chapter 12, verse three. Guess who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses did. And so, you know, I guess if you write the book, you can say it however you want to, but I don't know if it's true or not. I think it is. Um, it made it to the scriptures, but, but humility. Everybody's, there's all kinds of stuff to say about do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. I love that definition of humility. It's not that we think about ourselves less. In fact, C.S. Lewis summed it up this way. This is great. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, so we're not minimizing the gifts and the talents that we have. We're not denying that God created us with purpose and with vision, with, with talents to add. We're just thinking about how can I use these talents to make the people around me better? 
How can I use these talents to add value into the, the team that I'm a part of? Again, whether that's our family, our marriage. It's thinking about ourselves less. Humility is a big, big deal. In fact, one of the verses, I didn't have it on your outline sheet, but the Bible talks about God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that always challenges me because if there's a pride issue kind of creeping up in my own life, it kind of sets me against God. And I, it's not a place that I wanna be in. You know? and it, so it's a, it's a big deal. We wanna grow in our area of being humble. You know, when I think about humility, so many of you come to mind who serve on the dream team or add value in different places as a campuses. But one guy that I thought about this week is a guy named Philip Miles. Uh, Philip, this is his wife, Lynn. Philip uh, is a pastor. In fact, for 37 years, he's pastored a church called Christ Community Church in Conway, South Carolina, up near Myrtle Beach. And he's led well, uh, served the church well. They've, they've done amazing things in their church. Last year, Philip called me and asked me if I would come up and share our story at Seacoast, especially as it relates to succession. Uh, so about transitioning the church from one generation to another. He had a group of about 150 pastors and he wanted us to share the story. And so I came and I told him, hey, you know, you have to just be willing to, to be thrown under the bus by the founding pastor and take it. And you know, it's, it's hard, but you can do, no, just kidding. I told him, told him what we're learning, which is great, that we're in a, a process that really doesn't even have an end date, that we're just kind of working together one generation with another to see the gospel continue to be relevant to the next generation. And so I was sharing our story and afterwards, Philip grabbed me and said, can I talk to you? And, and, and my dad was there too. He wanted dad to, to come and, and he said, hey, I've been praying about this for a while. I'm, I'm 67 years old and uh, I feel like God's leading me into a new season of uh, retirement and been praying about what to do with the church and we've got some great young leaders here at the church but none of them feel like their next step is to lead the church nor do we feel that is the next step for any of them. And so as we've been praying, I feel like the Lord spoke to me and said, our next step as a church is to become a campus of Seacoast Church. And we were just like, what? I mean, who, who 37 years you've been building this thing. We're talking about an incredible church. They've got five acres, a great building that seats about 600 people uh, right in the heart of, of Conway, South Carolina. They, they've fully paid for it, totally debt-free. And he said, we just, we'd, like, we'd like to give it all to you. We think that we can actually reach more people as a church and accomplish the goals that we have by becoming one with you guys. And I mean, we were just blown away. At first we were like, no, 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 let us help you. We'll send somebody up who can be, isn't that great? Um, and, and at the end of the day, we all sensed God was in it. And Easter, we opened up Seacoast Conway. And, and Philip, Miles, and Lynn, when they're in town, you know, they're doing a little bit more travel right now, which is great, but they're sitting in the same seats they've sat in for the last 37 years, and they're cheering this thing on. They're loving this church, and they're a part of seeing God do something even greater than what they could do on their own. I think that's a great example of humility. It challenges me, honestly, as a leader to go, would I be, would I be willing to do something like that? You know, would I be willing to go, you know what, it doesn't matter if my name's on it. If my, you know, I just want what's best for the bigger picture team. And it's just an amazing, amazing experience. So, so humility, stay humble. How are you doing with that? How are you? you know, and some of you struggle with this because you are talented. You know, I was talking to a, a former professional athlete after the last service that comes to our church and he was saying, man, we see this at play in, in the teams that I've been a part of and it's always a factor, the chemistry of a team and it always has to do with, with ego and, and you don't have to, to deny your gifts. I mean, you can be superstar talented 
but yet have a humility about you. And so I would just ask you to consider that. Are you humble? Have you stayed humble? We're all born to some degree humble. We're dependent on others, but most of us are also born with a sinful nature. I don't know if you were or not. I didn't come out of the womb going, hey, mom, are you okay? I know this was hard for you. You know, I'm thinking, are you, you know, you know, we're thinking about ourselves, right? We need to be, our needs met. But eventually we, we give our lives to Christ, which most of us have. And in doing that, that's an act of humility. That's saying, God, I need, I need your help. I, I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. I need, I need your help. But then we, we go along for a while and sometimes we lose sight of that. We begin to kind of believe our own hype, if you will. And so how are you doing with that? Are you humble? Some questions that you might wanna consider when you're asking that, that question. Do you have to win every argument? Do you? No elbows. How are you at that? At just admitting that maybe I'm not right in this one. You know, if, if you have to win every argument, you may need to look in a little bit and go, is there a humility issue, a pride issue? How easy it is, for you, is it for you to say that you're sorry or to ask for forgiveness? You know, there's a reason they call it humble pie, you know, admitting when you're wrong. If, if that's a challenge for you, then it just may be an indicator that, hey, I, I might have some work to do here. God, would you help me to cultivate humility? And what I love about the Bible when it talks about humility is either you're gonna take be proactive about it or God's gonna help you with it. You know, it's like he humbles the, the proud. You know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. And it's something we can all take that posture to say, God, I wanna be humble. So if you wanna be a team player, you gotta stay humble. Second thought for us is this. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Ideal, ideal team players aren't just humble, but they're also, there's this sense of hunger about them. Lencioni says it this way in his book. Hungry people are always looking for more. More things to do, more to learn, more responsibility, you know, more uh, you know, ownership of, of the project. Like, hey, I wanna grow, I wanna learn, I want, I want more. And I love working with these types of people. I wanna be this type of people. Hey, what are you reading? What, where are you growing? What's, what's challenging you? The kind of person who's just always looking for more. He says, man, you need humble people, but you also need, if you're building a team, Make sure there's hunger inside of them. Make sure they have a sense of hunger. And, and you know, we all do go into most of our either new career or new school or new marriage with a sense of hunger. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna learn how to best care for this woman and make sure she knows how valued she is and, and all of this. But, but there's a tendency over time for us to lose our hunger, isn't there? That's why I love hanging out with church planters. Uh, church planters are awesome. We have the Association of Related Churches and you know, dad serves as the, the president of that and so we get to hang out with church planters. You can't plant a church and not be hungry. Like when you go to plant a church, you're, you're moving to a new city and you're like, man, we're gonna go, we're gonna change this city for the gospel. That's how Seacoast started 30 years ago. You know, as a family and a group of people came together and said, man, we are gonna be hungry to, to reach people, to, to change this community with the gospel. Some of you have started businesses. You know what I'm talking about. You're, entrepreneur. You're like, man, you, you are so hungry to make a difference, to add value, to start something, to build something. But over time, the tendency, whether it's a church, an organization, a marriage, is for us to kind of lose that sense of hunger. Maybe we turn inward as a church. It's what usually happens is you, you start to reach some people and you experience a little bit of success. You know what they say about success? Success is a breeding ground for complacency that you, you get successful, then you start to try to focus on what you have or maybe you believe your own hype a little bit and, and then you stop, stop growing. You know what churches are that lose their hunger? They're called museums. Go over to Europe, you can see lots of them. 
And man, as long as we're allowed to be a part of this, I just pray to God that we never lose our hunger. I hope that every time you drive down Long Point Road, if you live here in the Charleston area, you see this building over here, let it be a reminder to stay hungry, to stay hungry. That man, why would a church that's 30 years old and seems to have plenty of people, why would we build another building? Why would we keep going after it? Why would we launch new campuses? because we want to stay hungry. And as long as there are people driving by here that don't know the good news of Jesus, don't have the gospel, haven't heard the the great news, aren't connected to a church family, we're going to be hungry to reach them. So I did a little research this week. I looked up on a a government website, so it has to be true. Just in in Mount Pleasant. Did you know that in Mount Pleasant, according to the the official city data, 43% of the people who live in Mount Pleasant don't go to church. 43%. So when you go eat lunch after church, about half of the people that you interact with, when you're going to your kids' baseball games or soccer games, about half of the the parents that you interact with and the families that you interact with, half of them don't have a church family. Half of them don't have a a, a gathering of people who are spurring them on to grow and to to know the love that Jesus has for them. 43%. Did you know that in Colombia, it's 49%. 49% of people in Colombia don't, Go to church. Somerville, it's 59%. 59%. Conway, 59%. It's part of why we felt God was calling us there when we heard that 59% of the people in Conway don't go to church. And man, as long as that's the case, we're gonna continue to do everything we can to try to reach these people. It's part of why we have a series coming up called At the Movies. If some of you are like, why do we do At the Movies? I'll tell you why we do it, because there are a lot of people that you know that you're friends with, that you connect with, that you may struggle with how you might invite them to church, but, but it would be very easy for you to go, hey, our church this, this week is gonna be talking about the greatest showman. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I saw that. I wonder what the church has to say about the greatest showman or Wonder Woman, you know? Like, what would the church have to say about Wonder Woman? And so not next weekend, but the following weekend, we kick off a new series called that, The Movies. You all had one of these tickets in your, in your seat. If you're trying to cultivate a hunger you know, to, to care about the things that God cares about. I would encourage you, it's like a modern day parable is what we do this series for in the month of July. I'm praying that there will be hundreds of people that would come to know the, the love and the grace of God through this series because we're just willing to go, hey, you know, come, come see what our church has to say about this movie. And the, the worst case scenario, you'll get some popcorn, okay? Like even if it's bad, you get some popcorn and it's not gonna be, it's gonna be incredible. And so are you hungry? You willing to stay hungry? Jesus was hungry. I think about the story of Jesus. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. Paul, when he's talking to Timothy, uh, Paul is mentor to this guy. He's his kind of spiritual father. And in 1 Timothy 4, I love what he says. He says, do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone will see your progress. So he's saying, I love that. Give yourself wholly to them. Like, don't just wait. The gift that he had was to lead people and, and, and plant churches. And he's like, you gotta pour yourself into that. You gotta be hungry to make a difference. And it's not just for you. It says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So being hungry, that's not just a business principle. It's all throughout scripture. Jesus was hungry. You guys remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? They were kind of traveling, and he felt compelled. He had to go through Samaria to get there. He has this conversation with this woman at the well, and 
you know, we've taught on that dozens of times, and it's a great story where she's talking about water, and he kind of uses, again, much like the movies that we would talk about, he uses an illustration with water, and he says, hey, if, if, if you'll drink the living water that I have to offer you, you'll never thirst again, and she realizes the grace. She's one of these 43%, right? She's one of these that's been ostracized by the church people. She's been divorced multiple times and feels like she doesn't have a place in the family of God, and Jesus reaches out, and he cares for her, and he helps her to see that she's valued. But what I love about this story, we don't talk about this part very much, is the disciples had gone to get some food, and they, they come back into this setting, and, and here's what happens. Look at it. After this woman, she goes back to Samaria to go tell everybody about this great encounter she had, and here's what happens. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Like, Jesus, you, you're hungry. We went. We got some food. Ran to Chick-fil-A. Got you your, your strips. I know you don't like the nuggets. You like strips, and so we're, we're here for you. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And it throws them off. They're like, what, what happened? Like, could somebody have brought him food? Who, who, like, Jesus, you do it all. Like, and it, we finally can, do, you give us a job to go get you food and now you've already got somebody else. Like, what's going on? We're confused. And here's what Jesus says. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. To finish his work. What I'm hungry for guys, is to do the, the will of God. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. And I would say, church, open your eyes. You know, let's not just talk about wanting to reach people. Look around. Look at the 43%, the 49%, the 59%. You know, they're ripe for harvest. You know, I, I don't know how this played out, but I know that this woman went to Samaria and brought the whole town back with her. I wonder if as they're looking out at the fields, if they're seeing these Samaritans coming, and Jesus is going, that might not look like the people you thought you were gonna reach. You know, you were praying for the very sharp people who had it all together, church people. You know, but, but I'm sending you people who are hurting and desperately in need to hear this message. The fields are ripe. Let's go to work. Let's be hungry. Let's get it done. And so have you lost your hunger? Have you? Maybe that's an aspect that God's kind of calling you. A, a great way to answer the question of am I hungry? Think about the question, are we there yet? You know, you go on a road trip, the kids are always asking that. Hungry people always answer that question with not yet. You know, we've made a lot of ground. We're getting there, but we're not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. I've got more to learn. I've got more to grow and I've got more, more, more to be taught. And that's what we wanna, wanna embody. So if we're gonna be an ideal team player, Again, not just players that perform individually, but players that bring the, the people around us up. We gotta stay hung, hungry, we gotta stay humble. And the last thought is this, treat people right. Treat people right. You know what uh, Lencioni calls this, he, he uses the word smart. Uh, and I don't like that, because most of you, when you think of the word smart, you think of people like me, you know, high IQ, brilliant, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think I violated the first one there. Um, but no, we think, of, we think of intellectual smart, like we think of people who you know, just can do math well. But what Lencioni's talking about is, he's talking about being smart with people, more of an EQ issue, emotional smart, you know, where I, I just, you learn how to treat people right. What he says is, in the context of a team, smart simply refers to a person's common sense about people. It has everything to do with the ability to be interpersonally appropriate and aware. 
Smart people tend to know what's happening in a group situation, how to deal with others in the most effective way. They ask good questions. And, and again, the way that I would sum it up, my paraphrase, is that you just, you just wanna be the kind of person who treats people right, who just has a way of, of handling people well. I love, again, the, the passage where Paul's investing in his mentor, or mentee, and he tells him, hey, be hungry, pour yourself wholly into this. The very next verse, in verse, uh, chapter five, verses one and two, he goes on this deal. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What he's saying is, hey, if you're gonna build a church, if you're gonna start this, you're gonna have to learn how to treat people right. Like there are gonna be situations where there may be an older man and, and, and he's gotten a little bit off track and you're gonna have to correct that. Don't, don't speak harshly to an older man. You treat him like you would your father. Timothy, you gotta, you gotta treat people well. You know, treat, treat older women like as if they were your mom. And basically saying, if, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna build a great church, you're gonna have to learn how to treat people well. And this isn't new to us, right? I mean, Jesus laid it out in the, the great commandment. The, the, the most important thing, Jesus sums it up. He says, number one, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's at the bottom line. Make sure you do that. And then he, he doesn't stop there, though. He says the second is equally as important. So in other words, you can't do one without the other. It's just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You know, when I think about our greater team of the Big C Church, it really saddens me that most people, when they think about the church, most people who aren't a part of the church, they wouldn't describe the church as a group of people who just really know how to handle people well. They just really know how to treat people right. But that's the call. That's what God's called us to do, is to be a people who, we're, we're humble, we're hungry, but man, we know how to treat people. We, we, we could go a lot of different directions with this. You can apply it to your workplace, and you guys are, are smart enough to do that. Apply it to your families, marriage maybe. I mean, really, if you had to answer that question, am I treating my wife right? Like, sure you were when you were dating, but how's that going right now for you? But, but I, I thought about another situation, and it's been in the news for the last couple of weeks, and we probably all heard at least some of it. It's what's going on down at the border. Uh, and here's the deal. What I love about this church is we are not a political church. Like, we just aren't. Uh, you check your politics at the door. This room is full of people who are more liberal in their thinking, more conservative. And I think being together as a family makes all of us better. We, we all can learn from each other and grow. So I don't, I don't have any interest in having a political conversation right now. I don't wanna talk about immigration. It's over my head. I don't wanna talk about any of that. But, but what I do see is I've seen some troubling images and videos of some people at the border who are hurting. And, and yet, as I was thinking about Jesus' greatest command, there was a moment in, in the Gospel of Mark where one of the people that was with him said, hey, would you elaborate a little bit on neighbor? Yeah, I know you said love God, love your neighbor. What do you mean? I wanna make sure I'm getting it right. And Jesus went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you guys remember that? Where there was a man who had been beaten and left for dead and, and three people go past this man. Two of them who happened to be the people you would think would get it right, the church people, totally ignored him and just kept right on going. And the one guy who stopped was the guy who didn't look like this person, who didn't believe the same things that this person believed, didn't have the same ethnicity, didn't have the same theology, 
but he just saw that a person was hurting and he stopped and, and did what he could to help. And it, it really, I think, is a burden for me as one of your leaders that we would be a church who would get anything wrong with, as it relates to treating people right. You know what? No political party has the, the corner on that market. That was Jesus's idea. That's our role to play, regardless of what we believe. We gotta treat people right. So I don't have any solutions. I'm not placing blame. I have no idea. It's, it's above my, my pay grade. But what I do know is we ought to have compassion for people who are hurting, regardless of where they are, what they look like, and, and we ought to be, be people who stop and care. And so I thought, we, before we finish the message, I just wanna stop and pray. Pray for what's going on down there. Allow God to engage our hearts with what's happening with his people. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you so much that every one of us, Lord, that knows you, that's in relationship with you, has been that person who is hurting, has been that person who is left for dead, but you and your reckless love pursued us. You stopped, you noticed, and you, you, you cared for us. And so God, I just pray, Lord, for those that are hurting down at the border, for the children who've been separated from parents. God, we don't know who's to blame, but I know it's not the kids. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would reunite families. I pray, Lord, that you would intervene on their behalf. I pray that you would give wisdom to the leaders of our country. I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, bring unity. Uh, Lord, that, that we'd be able to work together for the betterment of the people because we wanna be people who treat people right. God, use your church. Lord, don't ever let us become calloused, whether it's a person living in our own home or a person who's across the world from us. Don't ever let us become calloused to people who are hurting. Let it be said of this expression of your church that, man, they may not have got it right on everything, but they sure knew how to love people well. That's our aim. That's our goal. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we kind of wrap up the message, I'd ask you again, what kind of player are you? Are you a great player or are you a great team player? Are you humble? Are you hungry? And are you treating people right? You know, the great news about all of this, by the way, is that none of this earns us God's love. <laughs> like, we don't do this so that God will think better of us. Like, we were all getting this very wrong when he died for us. Like, we were all lost in our sin. This is not about, hey, let's try to gain approval, but this is about how effective we're gonna be as his hands and feet in this world. This is about whether or not we're gonna make a difference in the way that we could. And so don't get that wrong. You know, if you're here today and you're struggling, welcome to a whole group of people who are struggling to get this right. Uh, you know, the best way to grow in these areas is to get around other people who are growing in these areas. And so that's why I'm so proud of our dream team at all of our campuses. Uh, we had Pastor Tom Mullins couple weeks ago really challenged us to get involved in the, the dream team with the next generation. We had almost 200 cards come in across all of our campuses of people going, you know what, I'm going to step up and be involved. And I'm so thankful, whether it's that or other areas that you serve, that it's a family of people who are on this mission together, who are growing together to make it happen. But I, I go back to the story that I told earlier about my basketball team. And I was thinking about another team, and it's a team we don't talk about enough uh, here at Seacoast, and I want to apologize for that as your pastor. Uh, it's the 2016 Chicago Cubs World Series champion. We should, we should talk about that a lot more. Thank you, yeah. What, one quick story about that that you may, may not know. The year before they won the World Series, during the offseason, they got their own free agent of, the, of their own, a guy named Jason Hayward. Uh, he was from the St. Louis Cardinals. Thank you, Darren Patrick. He's actually a friend of Darren's, who's one of our teaching pastors. And Jason came to the Cubs, and, and if, if you looked at his stats from the year that they won the World Series, he had a miserable year individually. 
He hit for the worst batting average he's ever hit for in his career. He hit the least number of home runs that he's ever hit. In fact, if you looked on the message boards that Cubs fans talked about, Cubs fans were so, we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this guy and he's not performing. What What a waste of money. But what we didn't know is what was going on behind the scenes. That while he was struggling individually, he was a team player. He was humble. Uh, he was hungry. He would show up first to practice. He was working at it. It just wasn't coming together for him. And he was good with his teammates. And so game seven of that World Series, what a great day that was. You guys remember that? Cubs are up six to three. We're winning the World Series. Eighth inning, there's a couple outs left to get before we're the champs. And the Cleveland Indians hit a three-run home run to tie the game. And it, like the momentum just shifted. You could sense it. I'm, I remember watching, we were watching it here at the church after a first Wednesday and the Cubs were up six to three and I shut it down. I said, hey, we're all gonna go home. And as soon as I shut it down, they, they lost the lead. I thought I've blown it for the Cubs. I did, I did this. <laughs> uh, I got home and I just, you could just tell it was, it wasn't, it, the momentum was in, in the Indians' favor and then God intervened and there was a rain delay. You guys remember that? Thank you, Lord. And so um, they go back to the clubhouse and, and everybody's kind of in their own place and they're dejected and they're kind of thinking about this. And, and Jason Hayward, of all people, grabs the, the team and says, we're having a players-only meeting during this rain delay. And he pulls them together and he just refocuses them. He says, guys, we've been dreaming about this moment since we were kids. We have a chance to win the World Series. Forget about what just happened. We're tied. We're going to extra innings. We could do this. Let's go after it. And the whole chemistry of the team changed. The whole attitude of the team changed. They went out. They scored two runs. They won the World Series. Jason Hayward went 0 for 5 in that game. 0 for 5. When you started to hear interviews a couple days later as people were asking the Cubs players, hey, what happened? Tell us a story. One name kept surfacing. Jason Hayward. He's the reason we won. Jason Hayward. What? He went 0 for 5. No, but he gathered the team and the team's success was way more important than his own and he got us in the right frame of mind. And it's good news for people like me. Some of you are like that. Maybe you don't have all of the talent in the world to offer. Maybe you're not the greatest at whatever. I know I'm certainly not. But you know what? Attitude trumps talent all day long, and that's good news for us. We can be a team player. We can make the people around us better if we'll stay humble, we'll stay hungry, and we'll treat people right. Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you, thank you, thank you for this great church. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you have chosen us for this time and for this place. Lord, that as people see and look into what's going on here, God, I just pray, Lord, that by your grace, what they would see is a church that, that loves well. God, that isn't consumed with ego or being right all the time, but that we just, Lord, we may get it wrong in a lot of areas, but that we wouldn't get it wrong as it relates to treating people right loving people well. So help us all to grow in this. God, help us in our team. Some of us are going through major struggles right now in a family situation or work, whatever it might be. Help us to be part of the solution. By your spirit, would you produce this kind of fruit inside of us, that we would be humble. God, that we would stay hungry for the right things and that we would love well. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.